An Honorable Profession is brought to you by Tech for America, an organization dedicated to providing a platform for service-minded leaders to solve America's toughest public challenges. For more information, visit t4a.org. That's T, the number four, a.org. Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm your host, Ryan Coonerty, and it's my honor to welcome you to our very first episode of An Honorable Profession, a New Deal podcast that features rising Democratic leaders. They're going to share their personal stories and discuss ways to restore trust in government, as well as sanity in politics in an insane era. Today, we're talking with Jason Kander. He's former Missouri Secretary of State, a national voting rights advocate, and the just announced candidate for mayor of Kansas City. He's an American hero, and I hope that you're as inspired by his vision for America as I am. But first, a little bit about who we are and what this podcast is all about. The New Deal is an organization that brings together more than 150 of the best and brightest elected officials. These are people creatively solving problems at the state and local level. They're our next generation of leaders, and I'm fortunate enough to be one of them as a current county supervisor and a former mayor of Santa Cruz, California. This podcast is an effort to share with you what inspires me every time I talk with one of these rising stars. They offer insight into what it takes to make progress in government today. In an era of cynicism, stupidity, and profound failures by our political system to respond to even the most basic challenges, these leaders represent the opposite. They're optimistic, dedicated, and innovative. They could be doing virtually anything they wanted professionally, yet they've chosen to make a career in public service. They're dedicated to returning politics to, in the words of Bobby Kennedy, an honorable profession. I encourage you to learn more about how these leaders are out to save democracy by checking out newdealleaders.org. And if you like what we're doing, please consider telling a friend about an honorable profession and rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Now let's get to our inaugural guest. Jason Kander and I met up at a conference in Columbus, Ohio, where we talked about how to enact a progressive agenda, what's motivated him as a national figure to run for local office, and advice he has for people who might be running for the first time. Jason's a 37-year-old husband and father. He's a former army captain who served in Afghanistan. He was Missouri's Secretary of State and is president of Let America Vote. He was the first millennial in the country to be elected to a statewide office, and he started Let America Vote to fight back against voter suppression across this country. In June, Politico called Jason the hottest star in Democratic politics, and the Democratic National Committee has appointed him chair of the Commission to Protect American Democracy from the Trump administration. Jason graduated from American University and Georgetown Law School. Check out his Crooked Media Back podcast, Majority 54, and his new best-selling book, Outside the Wire, Lessons in Everyday Courage. I think my first question I want to start with is, you're a smart guy. You're a, a former I elected. I already f- love this question. <laughs> yeah, this is a good, I think you like the premise. <laughs> yeah, um, you got a law degree, you're a veteran, you've been elected at the state l- level. Why, why do you stay active in politics when so many people are giving up hope? You know, I, I guess for me, I've never even thought about it as an option because it's I care about what's going on. And, you know, uh, 
the night of the November election in 2016 in my concession speech, I had not written a concession speech, so I just kind of went out there and said the first thing I could think of in order to try and make sure people stayed engaged. And, and what I said then was, you know, um, if you love the country, uh, then you don't just get involved in politics when things are going your way. You, you stay involved in politics when things didn't go your way. And really, there's an argument to be made um, that you actually have to be even more involved when things have not gone the way you want them to. And I guess that's just how I think about it. I mean, I care about what happens, uh, and I just don't really have... I guess in some ways, there, there are times when I wish that I kind of had that um, that ability to just check out from it and say, you know what, let it go on without me. I'm going to pursue other things. and But I just don't have that in me. And in terms of your next steps, so you've been at the state level. Um, you've even been talked about as a national uh, presidential contender, but you're coming back to run for mayor of Kansas City. What What is about the local level, what is about Kansas City that you think this is the best place to apply your talents? Well, you know, my family first got to Kansas City in the 1880s. Um, my son is, is a sixth-generation Kansas City, and I'm a, I'm a fifth-generation one. And, uh, you know, it's in my heart. It's a place I care about very deeply. And our, our city is at a place where, thanks to the leadership of our mayor, Sly James, uh, who is a good friend of mine who I, who I believe in and campaigned for uh, seven years ago, um, it's at a place where we are making a lot of progress, um, and we're really proud of that progress. And now the question for us is, is twofold. It's one, is that progress going to continue? And two, are we going to make sure that as we grow, that everybody in town can see and feel that progress? And that's just something that, that I'm really passionate about doing. I, you know, I've said a lot over the last year and a half that the best argument for progressive values is, is actual progress people can see. And I see a chance to do that for the people of my hometown. And uh, that just really excites me. And when I made the decision, it just was really clear to me that it was the right thing to do. What kind of issues do you think you'd be able to drive at the local level that, that maybe you've been working on at the, at the state or national level, but, but maybe can be faster, more entrepreneurial at the local level? Well, I feel like at the heart of everything that I've been trying to do over the last, gosh, it's a decade now that I've been in public service, or at least elected public service, uh, has really been about, it's really, I think, grown out of my experience, uh, you know, coming from Kansas City. And what I mean by that is um, I can remember when I was uh, running for re-election to the state house, uh, you know, because when I ran for the first time, I knocked on 20,000 doors, met a ton of people. And then I went and I knocked on doors again when I ran for re-election. And I remember being really struck by how many people who I remembered them from the first time. I knocked on the door. I remember being excited to, oh, I'm going to talk to them again. And then it would be somebody new who came to the door. And I'd, and I'd ask what happened to the people who were in the house before. And they'd say, well, um, they had to they had to move because their kid became school age. And I heard that over and over and over again. Or somebody would say, you know, they moved, there was an opportunity in California or whatever. And so that has for so long really influenced my view of politics. And it's why I've talked for so long about the idea that, uh, may, of making our hometowns places where folks can succeed without feeling like they have to leave or to move across town. The idea of success uh, being possible where you are. Um, and I think one of the things that, that happens um, nationally is people look at a place like Kansas City and they say, well, uh, you know, it, like if people can 
get to opportunity somewhere else, that's fine. No, no, we want people to be able to have opportunity where they are. And, and that's one of the biggest things that motivates me. So when I think about, for instance, you know, uh, traditionally in Kansas City, unfortunately, we've had this notorious geographic boundary, Troost, uh, which is a street that runs uh, north-south in the city, and it was also the historical segregation uh, boundary. And it is, in many ways, still that. And the and oftentimes there's a stark difference in um, folks' ability to earn wages and all that kind of thing, depending on which side they come from. Uh, and I, I feel like so often the success stories that we tell are, are escape stories. It's a story about somebody who you know may have grown up in that part of town, but now they're doing really well. And that story just too often doesn't end with, and they still live near there, right? What I want to change is I want the success stories that we tell to not have to be escape stories. I want it to be, hey, remember that kid who grew up down the street? Uh, instead of it being, well, now he's in Silicon Valley and we get to read it, which is great when that happens. It's great for him. But for Kansas City, I want that story to be, uh, well, he still lives down the street and my uncle works at that place three blocks from here that, that he just opened. That's the kind of story I want told uh, in my town. And, and and so I guess that's how it sort of lines up with everything else I've done in public service. And being multi-generational, being from the city, uh, how do you think you'll be able to to meet residents where they are on both sides of that street um, in order in order to to give them a sense of the future? Well, you know, when I when I represented Kansas City in the state legislature, my district was in some ways kind of a microcosm of of our town um, because I had. Uh, very high-income folks in the in the like northwestern part of my district, uh, and then I had uh, a, a much different economic situation uh, in the southeastern part of the district, which was a, a part of the district that crossed over that boundary, and uh, and and so I've, I've between that and, and being a statewide uh, candidate and an elected official, um, I've I've just got a lot of relationships, um, you know, in every part of the city, and and I, I plan to bring those to bear, um, and. Uh, and, and it's really just about being present. That's one of the things about being a mayor that I'm that I'm so excited about is that um, you know you can you really can if you just are willing to just doggedly show up. And the thing is, doggedly show up and and not do all the talking. That's really it's ironic because I've done most of the talking so far in this conversation. But um, I feel like that's what has helped me be successful is that I am not. I've tried really hard not to be one of those politicians who feels like, well, I can't go to a place because I don't have the answers to the questions. I'm a former Army intelligence officer. My approach is, if I don't go there and ask a ton of questions, how am I ever going to have any answers? And so that's how I've always done things, and I'll continue to do it that way. And the, the truth is, uh, in many ways, the most powerful thing you can say um, in, uh, in politics is, I don't know. Um, and, uh, and I've always in my career been willing to say that. And I've learned an awful lot as a result. And it's, it surprises people, not because they think you knew. Oftentimes they're like, we know you don't know. You don't live on my block. Um, but when you say, I don't know, and you then ask them to fill your head with knowledge about what's going on in their life, they appreciate that because it's so rare. Yeah, I mean, I think for the folks who are out there who are listening and maybe thinking about running for office or helping somebody run for office, uh, what do you think is the biggest misconception about holding office and being a successful leader? Well, one of the things I wrote about in my book is that, uh, uh, you know, that this is not West Wing. It's, you know, and you're a former mayor, you know, it's more like Parks and Rec. And, and if you can accept that, 
then you can be successful. It's, you know, it is not what you see on TV. It's not, it's not just giving big speeches and, you know, whatever else you see on TV. It's, it is telemarketing and door-to-door sales, um, particularly when you get started, but it, it remains that way. I mean, I'm knocking on doors in this campaign and loving it, uh, and just as I have in the past. And, and that's the thing. If you are willing to put in the work and, and accept the fact that it is not glamorous, people are not going to say thank you, you're not going to, like, it, for most of my time in public service, uh, I walk down the street in total anonymity, right? Um, and that's fine. Like, if you're, if you're cool with that, and I am, and, and, and you care about the work, um, then you're going to enjoy it. But I always can tell, like, when I talk to a candidate who's running and I say, well, how's it going? And they tell me, well, I've, I've been going to all these events and they're running for like a local office and they're going to events with people who are already voting for them every day. They're just, and it's the same people. Like, it's not like just people who are already voting for them. That's fine. I mean, like, they're going to events where they may as well carpool with the same <laughs> 10 people, right. right? And I always tell them, I say, it's not, that's not what this is. This is, this is, uh, door-to-door sales and telemarketing. Get on the phone, get on the doors. You go out and you meet as many people as possible. You make friends, and on election day, your friends show up to vote for you. Um, that's how this works. And if you get elected, tell us about one of your great days in, a, in public service. Like, what makes it? Because sure. telemarketing and door-to-door sales isn't isn't yeah. super fun, um, but but sometimes you get some good results. Yeah, I mean, I've had some good results there. I could I could roll through some of the things that we've done that have. I felt good about stuff like I worked for several years on campaign finance and ethics reform. And then finally in Missouri uh, in 16, it's some stuff I had worked on for a long time was passed on the ballot. There's more of that stuff on the ballot in 2018. That all feels good. But actually it's, when I think about like moments that have kept me motivated, uh, there's one that (laughs) it's kind of a silly one and it's not even an accomplishment moment, but um, my first, like I'd been in the state house for like four months when this happened. And uh, there was a day where um, a, and this is not a metaphor, uh, a snake crawled across the uh, transformer outside the Capitol and it fried the transformer and the power went out to the Capitol. And the reason that that was an important day for me is because what that meant was the microphones didn't work on the House floor. Uh, And so everybody had to go sit at their desks quietly uh, in order for debate to continue because w- for two people to debate and, and actually hear each other, everyone had to be in there. And the reason everybody had to be in there is the speaker wanted to make sure no legislators were stuck in elevators. So they had to sit at their assigned seat and be quiet. And at the time, this was 2009 in Missouri, and we were debating an amendment having to do with LGBT rights. Now, this is like two election cycles removed from our state voting over 70% for a constitutional amendment to ban same-sex marriage. And What happened was for that half hour while the microphones didn't work and everybody had to sit quietly, decorum was completely changed. And it wasn't just talking points back and forth. It was an actual conversation. And you could see on people's faces that they were thinking about what was said and minds were being changed. And then, of course, the power came back on and it went back to the way it was. But I remember in that moment, like kind of locking that away and that motoring my uh, faith in the process for a long time. Just the idea that if in those moments, if you can push the noise away and you can occasionally do it, uh, then you really can change people's minds. You're an intelligence officer. Is there a transformer outside of Washington, D.C. that we can uh, <laughs> strategically attack? I've been working on it. No, no I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm, and, sure, I'm sure the Russians control it at this point. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 
finally, you know, you've been really leading this national effort on Let America Vote, mm-hmm. on voting rights. Um, I think many of us feel that those fundamental rights are under attack yeah. and makes our, puts our democracy under attack. Uh, give us cases, give me a case for optimism around this issue uh, and wh- how you think uh, we can restore our democracy. Yeah, no, there's reasons to be optimistic. It helps to look back uh, and have some, some recent history here and remember where we were um, in October of 2016. And, and, and this is where we were. We, for years, Republicans had been pushing photo identification laws, voter suppression laws. And, and what was happening was they were actually in many ways sort of at the tail end of that fight because they knew they were losing it. You had Judge Posner, who's one of the architects of conservative judicial philosophy, and had written the opinion in the, two, in the first photo ID case at the appellate level wrote in his book that it was the biggest mistake he ever made, you know, and that he that it was voter suppression. It wasn't about voter fraud and he got it wrong. And you had um, like in Missouri where they ended up, you know, we fought him forever and they ended up being able to pass a photo ID law uh, with a veto proof uh, majority. But they, they had to really water it down and basically pass a photo ID law and kind of in name only. Um, and they did it because they were like, we just want to say we did this in many ways. Right. So, uh, you know, and then you look at where the Supreme Court was supposed to be heading. We were really on the precipice of getting back to where we were, like in the '90s, and, and right after like 2000, where the, there was sort of going to be uh, more of a, a a less controversial push to try and make it so everybody had uh, a voice in the process. We had never gotten there in our past, but we had gotten to a point where people weren't fighting the idea of striving for it. Um, and in 16, it really felt like, okay, we're on the precipice of, of getting back on that road. And then, of course, we know what happened. But the, the thing about that is, is it means getting back to that point is not as far away as we think it is. Yeah, the Supreme Court is in a, is in a bad spot. But honestly, after what happened with Merrick Garland, the Supreme Court was already in a bad spot because it's not as though Justice Kennedy was was voting in a way that was good uh, for voting rights. I mean, he, he uh, kicked the decision on redistricting. He had an we, opportunity. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, the, the Ohio decision, for instance, the recent one. Uh, so, and pe- this is the part where people sometimes get a little hangdoggish when I say this. I think we're more like 10 years, maybe 15 years from getting back to that place. And then people go, oh, that's so long. Um, that's not as long as you think. And it could be sooner. But we have, in order to make that happen, we have to fight every day politically. Well, we don't have a judiciary. We don't have a Department of Justice that actually wants to help people vote. Uh we have to fight every day politically to sort of slow the advance of their voter suppression tanks so that when we get those things back, and I believe there's a strong chance, I believe we will in 2021 have a Department of Justice again that wants to do the right thing. When we get back to that place, then we're back on the road again. And, and you know, when you look at decisions uh, that have come down in the Supreme Court and you look at cultural movements like, uh, you know, marriage equality, once it happens, it happens like that. And so that's where we have to go. And it just takes determination. Well, I appreciate you taking the time you today. Bet. Thank you for your service to this country. And uh, you. we wish you luck in serving uh, your hometown. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for listening to the first episode of An Honorable Profession. Please like us on Apple, subscribe to hear more amazing leaders, and keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Road Group produces podcast. I'm Ryan Coonerty, and because we are keeping it honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast.